Hello, Bulls fans. Welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the show. I am Mark Kay from Australia, and joining me, as always, is Will the Goat Gottlieb. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. Um, trying to stay more optimistic, I think, than the Bulls' outlook lately. Another uh, tough loss to the Suns tonight. Went down 127-124. Um, came back from down really big for the for the backdoor cover in garbage time, but... Um, you know, we were just talking before starting to record and uh, since January 1, so about a month and a week, the Bulls have played 21 games and are 10 and 11. So uh, I think I test is basically indicating that they are 500 team for me lately. Um, there are some exciting things to talk about as far as uh, DeMar DeRozan going crazy over the last month, but it's been pretty much a 500 month. So um Really, really trying to hang on in the East standings here. Yeah, it's funny. Like, it kind of feels like the Bulls have become the team that maybe the ESPN analysts maybe thought that they would be. Like a like a 500-ish team, team that's really good on offense, not so good on defense. Through that stretch of games that you referenced there, there, there are 6th in offense, 27th in defense, you know, 20th in net rating. So that team, the way they're currently playing at the moment of – you know, there's obvious reasons for that. The fact that Lonzo Caruso, no Derek Jones Jr., Patrick Williams, Javante Green missed games. Like there's there's real reasons as to why the team has been underperforming relative to how they were playing, you know, through through the first two or so months through the season. But um at the moment, just based on the pure standings, the the you know, the high level metrics from a offensive rating and a defensive rating point of view, like it kind of feels like the Bulls are that team that 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 certain people thought that they may be, like all offense, no defense. And again, not I'm not surprised, I suppose. And look, they've, they've run into some difficult games. I mean, a back-to-back against the Sixers, like on, on the front end, like the Bulls just can't beat Joel Embiid for whatever reason. So that, that that's a rough game no matter what. Like Joel Embiid is obviously top five NBA player this season, potentially the MVP. So I'm not too mad at losing that game. And then to literally the next night have a game where you're playing the best team in basketball in the, in, in the, um, the Phoenix Suns. Like, yeah, sure, you had Zach, you had Demar, you had Vooch, but I don't know what people are expecting. And maybe I'm being a little bit harsh here or projecting here, but and and I tend to always do this, but I amplify the voices of a, of a few that are annoy me on Twitter. But like, it kind of feels like people are surprised or annoyed or disappointed that the team has sort of faltered here some, which is just kind of odd to me because... I don't, I don't know where that is. Maybe people just underrate the influence of Lonzo and Caruso and, and the rest of the guys that are missing. Uh, maybe it's something else. I don't know. But uh, it, it, it just kind of bothers me that um, some people are taking exception to this when we, we should we should kind of know instinctively like this is going to happen. This is going to be who they're going to be without two of their five best players. Yeah. And I mean, context matters here. Like if anybody tries to argue that this team is a 500 team, it would just be a pretty baseless claim because like you said, I mean, over that uh, stretch of games, 21 games since the beginning of January, as you said, 27th in defensive rating, like no shit, they're missing two all NBA defensive players. Like that's their defensive identity right there. Like Mm -hmm. this team is built to defend at the point of attack, to get over screens and stay attached to the ball handler. Mm Mm-hmm have Vucevic contain in drop coverage yep. and get back to, to shooters on pick and pops. That's mm-hmm. the whole defensive identity. And when you are missing two of the best guys in the league who are able to do that, um, who can fly around and get their hands in passing lanes and soak up like 30 plus minutes each, 
of course they're going to be a terrible defense. So I think it makes, you know, plenty of sense why they're struggling here. I'm actually very encouraged by the offensive numbers. Obviously, DeRozan has just been going absolutely bananas in the month of February. He had 38 tonight against the Suns, 45 last game against the the 76ers, just shooting out of his mind, continuing to have that all NBA, um, NBA all-star starter caliber season. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're just not going to, they're not going to have their full identity with their two most important defensive players off. Um, so I think I referenced some of these numbers last week, but they give up 9.8 fewer points per 100 possessions with Caruso on the floor than when he's off the floor. So almost 10 points per 100 possessions better with Caruso on the floor defensively and 7.2 points per possession points per 100 possessions better defensively with Lonzo on the floor. So like those are super high caliber defensive players. They turn defense into offense. They allow the rotations to to work more seamlessly and they allow the the depth to become more of an asset than it has been where, you know, Io is now playing 35 minutes a game when he rolls back into his like what will be his role, the the defense is going to be great. So, yeah. I think it's uh a long-winded rant of saying that the defense has been bad and I think that's to be expected. Um and they should be a lot better in 6 to 8 weeks whenever those guys get back. Yeah, for sure. I don't I don't want to sound like an elitist even though I'm probably going to come off in this way, but I just don't think as well people are used to the idea of a team building their defensive uh, defensive identity around a perimeter oriented defense like people assume that you know if you, you need a big guy you need rebounding you need rim protection you need this you need that you need Rudy Gobert or whatever it is to be a a good fundamental defense and that's just not true like like we've seen it this season the Bulls have been a really good defense when fully healthy now this is a team that doesn't have you know a top 5 top 10 guy so their margin of error is you know much thinner than a lot of teams so when you remove two or three pieces from this and in in, in a lot of cases for the Bulls it's been more than two or three pieces like Yes, you're going to naturally see this fall off sort of start to happen. So, but it isn't just about Lonzo and Caruso as well. Like you're removing those guys, but you're not necessarily replacing them with actual NBA caliber players as well. Like Matt Thomas at the moment is, you know, getting 20 minutes per game over his last five games, which, you know, fair enough. Like I don't want to trash on Matt Thomas because he's he's, he's the 15th guy on the roster like he's not someone who should normally be playing and it annoys me when people hold these guys to account as to like why is this player who's really bad and you know on the borderline of being an NBA player not playing as well as guys that uh, you know are legitimate role guys for most teams in the NBA like just the level of disconnect there annoys me so like you're having to rely on Matt Thomas to play 20-odd minutes a game. Troy Brown Jr. is playing 20, 25 minutes a game. You mentioned Io, but like Io is up to like 38 minutes per game over his last five games. DeMar is playing 39 minutes over his last five games. Like uh, Billy Donovan is like, literally going into the bag in terms of what he has available in terms of rotation, guys. Malcolm Hill is playing minutes, and he was, wasn't even on the roster a few a few weeks ago, let alone months ago. He's a two-way dude. So, like, what what are we expecting? So, it's not like you've lost, you've lost just Lonzo and Caruso, but it's also about who you're replacing them with. And it's not like you're replacing them with Derek Jones Jr. and, you know, Javante Green or Patrick Williams, for example. Like, because most of those guys have been out as well. So the flow and effect is real. It all matters. And um, like I said, I, I don't, I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm a little annoyed that some people are, but I guess that's fandom. But, uh, you know, 
at some point they're going to get right. And we've seen, and this is the thing why I feel so confident is because we've seen them fully actualized or at least much more actualized than what we're seeing now. So there's a reason for us to feel confident. There's actual data to support what we're suggesting here. We're seeing the team be good. They were that for two months of the season to start the season. So we should be confident that it will remain um, once Alonso and Caruso get back. Obviously, the deadline is coming up. Things will happen there. Maybe, maybe not. But um, yeah, I still think that the Bulls are a very good team, a contender out east. They just got to get healthy and hopefully that happens. And I want to spend some time too on the offense. Um, the the sixth in offensive rating over the last month plus is, I think, pretty interesting to me. I, that was an area where I felt that they sort of had a slow start and a lot of their offense was generated by, you know, live ball turnovers, uh, fast breaks, easy layups and transition, that sort of thing. Um, Lonzo throwing like overhead baseball passes, 96 miles an hour to, to Zach for a 360 dunk sort of offense, which is awesome. Um, but I don't know how sort of sustainable and realistic that style of play is in the playoffs. Um, and I thought coming into the season that it was going to be sort of more focused on just a lot of incredible shot making from Zach and Damar, which we're obviously seeing, but also a lot of, um, yeah, just sort of like ball movement, motion, all these things that I think the Warriors have done really well over the past, you know, however many years. Obviously, they don't have Steph and Clay, but I think the way that you share the ball, the way that you move without the ball, cuts, um, creating space for people. Uh, they're, you know, they're missing two of their high volume three point shooters. They're missing guys who really pass the ball well in, in Lonzo and Caruso and generate a lot of these um, fast break offenses that I'm talking about. And yet they're still able to be a yeah. top six offense during that time. And it, it mm-hmm. speaks to how well DeMar has been playing. Mm-hmm. Zach has missed, I think, uh, eight of the, of the last 13 games with um, the knee and back spasms that he's playing through. So uh, for, for all that to be sort of bogging them down and to still be, you know, in the top six of offenses. Like, again, you know, maybe there are more mouths to feed. Uh, Io gets fewer minutes or whatever happens. And like the continuity isn't quite there, but I think they have another gear offensively as well. Yeah, completely agree. And to illustrate that point you've made and, and like how Lonzo and Caruso impact the offense, obviously Lonzo is a high volume three point shooter. We know that you remove that and take that away, then, then, then that's hard to replace in itself. But what Lonzo and, and Caruso have brought, and you mentioned this before, is like they turn defense into offense. And so many times we forget that the court is connected. Like what you do on one end is going to influence the, what you do on the other end. But like when you had Lonzo and Caruso, let's just draw a line maybe at the turn of the year, like, Prior to 2022, the Bulls were uh, fifth in points off turnovers once you had Lonzo and Caruso for the most of those games. Let's let's go from Jan 1 onwards from um, 2022. The Bulls are all are down to, I believe, 29th in points off turnovers. So you've gone from a team that was top five in points in, points off turnovers with Lonzo and Caruso playing the majority of those games. How even Caruso was missing some of those games towards the back end with all the COVID stuff as well. Um, but then, you know, after Jan 1, 2022, you've gone down to 29th in the NBA in points, points of turnovers. So that 
area of offense is sort of diminished for the Bulls. But to your point, like they've maintained their ability to be a top offense. So that is actually super encouraging for when these do- these guys do return, assuming you can re-inject that style of play into your game. You maintain what you've sort of found out here with, um, you know, DeMar Levine and, and, and Vooch doing what they're doing at the moment in terms of maintaining that offense <laughs> as top six. And the fact that they are top six, I think is actually pretty damn good considering you know, beyond the top three guys, like you're relying a lot on Ayo. You're relying a lot on Kobe. You're relying a lot on Javante Green. Like Javante has been averaging like 12 points per game or something like that since January 1st, which, you know, is cool. I, you know, as a me, as a big Javante stand, I like seeing that. But the fact that you're relying Javante to be on, you know, your fifth leading scorer through that stretch of games and to still be sixth in offense, like that's positive. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just being too C-read about it, which of course is very ironic for me. But like, I, I just don't see, I don't see the red flags that maybe some do. And like I said, maybe I'm projecting, maybe I'm amplifying too many voices, but I, I think they'll be fine. I think they'll get it together. And, you know, once things start to come, to, I guess, come back, I suppose, in terms of personnel, then we should be starting to feel better about it. Like Lonzo and Caruso will be back at some point. Patrick Williams is uh, this growing optimism that he will return this season, which isn't super surprising given that the Bulls weren't granted that disabled player exception. Typically, you don't when you don't get that disabled player exception, it's because the league is deemed that the player is, you know, not unlikely to come back, sort of thing. So we should be confident that Pat, Patrick Williams will get back at some stage. Like Billy was even referencing that he may have you know, 10 to 12 games in the regular season to sort of hash out and, and get up to speed sort of thing. So, I don't know. I I think the deadline's approaching. People are getting a bit antsy that, that they feel like the team needs to do this or this or whatever it may be. They need to add this type of player or that type of player. Um, but I'm, I'm still confident in this team when fully healthy that they can be a really damn good team. It'll just be come down to like, where will they be in the standings? Like, missing Lonzo and, and Caruso for, you know, let's just call it two months. Like, has the damage been done at that point where you're no longer a number one or two seed? You're down in the playing situation. You get Lonzo and Caruso back. Maybe you make the playoffs, but instead of being, like I said, like a number one or two seed, you're a number seven seed or something like that. So that's going to be the interesting the interesting uh, dynamic of the, of the next couple of months. And that's kind of where they are now is sitting at third place in the East, uh, tied with the Cavs who are at fourth, a game and a half back from the number one seed. So mm-hmm. the second seed Bucks, the third seed Bulls, fourth seed Cavs, and fifth seed 76ers all have 21 losses. The Bulls are basically, you know, three and a half, four games out of the play-in tournament at this point. The Nets have obviously gone on an eight-game losing streak, and the Raptors are hot, and the Sixers were hot and cold. Um, the Cavs made this pretty big, I would say, um, in terms of name brand trade for Karis Levert the other day, um, sending out uh, Ricky Rubio's expiring contract and a lottery protected first, along with two seconds for Levert and a second round pick from Miami. So teams are making moves. It's obviously very jumbled up. The Bulls are, I think, like on their to defend them a little bit here, like they're beating teams that they should be beating, right? Like over the last month or so, they beat. They, I guess they lost the one game to Orlando, but they came back and, and smacked them in the next game. You know they lost to the they lost to the Bucks. They beat the Thunder. They beat the Raptors one out of two games. Uh, they beat the Blazers. They beat the Pacers. But they're losing to you know the Suns and the Sixers of the league. Like yeah, that makes sense. Uh, they're beating the good the they're beating the bad teams and they're getting kind of like 
beat up a little bit by the really good teams. And when you're out some of your best players, I think that makes sense. They just have to continue to tread water. And, you know, we'll see. Maybe they they decide to go for something. Um, obviously, the, the Cavs made the sort of the first move of the uh, that Eastern Conference, like top of the East group. Um, there have been rumors around the Bulls, Mark Stein, reporting that the Bulls made an offer for Jakob Pertl, which the Spurs rejected. Um, they've been connected to Dennis Schroeder of the Celtics. Uh, so things are, you know, happening. Uh, we're recording this on Monday night ahead of the deadline on Thursday. So it's a few days for us to sort of see how things play out. But um, I just I kind of wonder where they are in the standings, like given where they are. Is it are they ripe to make a move or will they just kind of stand pat and continue to try to tread water? Because, as you said, like when they're fully healthy, they are very competitive. Yeah, I think they they still have a level yet to get to even once they are fully healthy. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. And look, the East is just really good this year. And that's another thing to factor into this. Like, there's nine teams in the East at the moment that have a winning record. Like, the Atlanta Hawks currently have a losing record. They, they, got, they got the 10th seed, but they've been much better over the last 10 games than they, than they have been pre, you know, previously in the season. So, the Hawks are starting to get it, get it together. The Bulls' next game on Wednesday night is against the Hornets. They're in ninth at the moment. They're, you know, one game above 500. Like, they're a decent, good, scrappy team. The Celtics are five games over a 500 at the moment in eighth, and obviously the Nets are in seventh at the moment. So, like, there's some good, capable teams in that play-in range. The Raptors are sort of jumped out of that range at the moment, which is, I guess that makes that Raptors loss and the Sixers loss, you know, extra tough because those, you know, not only have those teams won and closed the door or closed the gap to the Bulls, like, obviously the Bulls losing to those teams um, gave them a win as well, which uh, is not ideal. So, uh yeah, it would be nice if they could start winning some games and maybe trying to avoid this playing situation. But I don't know. Like, if you lose against the Hornets, you enter, you know, maybe the, the trade deadline is the fifth seed. I, I don't know if that changes management's thinking. Maybe, you know, we fans get a little bit, like I said, a little bit antsy. We want to see moves because you, you start to see the team slipping down the, uh, the, 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 the order of the standings and those sorts of things. But, Management have to think beyond like a week or two of games and, you know, that's why they're there. That's why they get paid millions of dollars to make these 
these decisions because they shouldn't be tracking or making decisions based on a couple games where you're sort of going up and down. And, and to your point, like the East is so tight, like things can move around bloody quickly. Like the Bulls were were hanging on to that number one seed for a while there where I thought they were going to drop it because they didn't have Lonzo or Caruso, but none of these teams behind them were really making any moves to to sort of take it off them. But, um, you know, that, that, that's been a good thing, I suppose. So I was actually expecting the Bulls to be in the playing situation by now, given the injuries they have, but they, they haven't, thankfully. So uh, in, in some regards, uh, it, it's good, but I don't know, like maybe we can transition now to speak about the deadline because it is only a couple hours, not, well, not a couple hours, a couple days away, um, you know, maybe 48 hours away, something like that once this goes live. But I don't know, what what do you foresee the Bulls doing? I mean, and, and I guess firstly, like, do you see them doing anything? Do they need to do anything? I do think they should do something. I'm not sure I see them making any moves just given the all the injuries and all the stuff that they've dealt with in terms of COVID, in terms of these like freak accident, you know, injuries that have derailed the season. Um, to be where they are in the standings, I think is great. But at the end of the day, I still think they're, you know, a step away from the Bucks and the Nets. I know the Nets have lost a ton of games, but Durant's been out. They've got this whole situation with Kyrie. And I just know like Kevin Durant and at this stage in his career and his teams, they just, they don't care about the regular season. They're, they're going to turn it up a notch or two when they get to the playoffs. I think the bulls obviously, as you mentioned, can just not defend Joel Embiid. I think they struggle with like bigger skilled centers in general. Obviously Giannis got loose and Jokic has had some really good games against the bulls. So I do think they need help in a couple of different areas. Uh, I think they can compete with a lot of these teams, but I don't think they're necessarily going to be a favorite against any of them. So if they want to compete this year, which I think they can, I do think they should make a move. But it's really hard to see clearly, kind of see the forest through the trees, as you said, like when there's just so many injuries and all these other teams are are jumbled up. But I think you kind of have to look at it as not necessarily where you are in the standings so much. That obviously affects like who you're going to play in the playoffs in each round, but more like how these teams are going to look when the playoffs start. And I think the Heat, the Bucks, the Cavs, the 76ers, the Nets are all pretty scary, and I would want to load up and, and be ready for them. Yeah, I completely agree. And I guess this is where like some of the reported not that there's been many reports at, at the moment, like the, the main two that you referenced before, are the, the Schroeder stuff and, and the Jakob Pertl stuff. But I, I don't know how legitimate some of those are. I'm assuming they're fine and, and, and you know, they're actual credible reports. Certainly the, the Mark Stein stuff, like he's obviously got a track record of that. But like to me, I love the fact that the Bulls are trying to acquire Jakob Pertl because he's so damn good. And, you know, the idea of him being a backup center is kind of unfair to Jakob Pertl, given that he is really damn good and should be a starting center for a lot of damn teams. So I don't know how you acquire this dude. I'm not surprised that the Spurs said no to whatever the offer was that the Bulls were putting forth, because there's no way if I was the Spurs who don't have a lot of center options and, you know, Jakob Pertl is a really good player. Like, I think he's like top 25 in P- at PER, if I'm not mistaken. But like, if you're trading away Jakob Pertl. If I'm the Spurs, I'm going to need something a lot more than like a Kobe White in a Portland first round pick, something like that, or whatever the whatever the, the trade, uh, you know, the pr- proposed trade was. I'm speculating about what it would be, but like, I don't know, like there's, there's names out there that a lot of fans are throwing out there in terms of, 
you know, we should get this guy or that guy. But I just don't think the Bulls have a lot to offer at this point. And particularly if they're, you know, reticent against trading away Patrick Williams. And it doesn't sound like they want to get rid of Patrick Williams based on, I don't know, you know, Zach Lowe sort of hinted at that. There's been others, other names that have sort of suggested the Bulls aren't necessarily going to move away from Patrick Williams. So if you're not going to put Pat on the table, like what assets do you really have to make a decent move that's actually going to change your your playoff trajectory? To me, there isn't really any, like, Kobe in a pick ain't getting anything done. Troy Brown Jr. in a second round pick. Like, what? what is that getting you? Like, Dennis Schroeder, like, cool. Well, like, what is he doing for this team? So, I don't know. Like, to me, I-, I want to see them make a move. I think it would be good. But at the same time, if they're not prepared to throw in all their chips into this deadline move, then we shouldn't expect them to get anything back than maybe like a, a seventh or eighth guy at most. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, the way also that you operate when you're in this position of like we need to add talent and load up to you know play against these teams it's the same kind of position they were in last year which is why people were frustrated when they felt that the bulls overpaid for Vucevic. right uh you give up wendell the top four protected picks in last year draft and in next year's draft that feels like a lot but teams are able to leverage you into giving all that up because they have something that you want and that you kind of feel you need for that playoff push that they obviously failed to, you know, make the playoffs last year. But I think it's the same concept this year. And right now they're even, they have even less assets, like you say. So I I think that there's probably teams around the league that would see Kobe as valuable. And I wonder, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about I over the past few episodes, he's been awesome. I think he probably makes Kobe a little bit expendable. Mm-hmm. Obviously, their skill sets are not the same, yeah. but there's only so many minutes at these guard positions, and the way that he defends his catch-and-shoot corner threes have been really great, and when Caruso and Lonzo come back, I think those three really uh, complement each other well. So I'm not even really sure how much Kobe fits into a eight- or nine-man playoff rotation. Obviously, like the... Microwave scoring, the three-point shooting, all that stuff, super important, but how reliable is it? And I think there are probably teams in the league that would be willing to be more patient with him than the Bulls can be right now, given what they're trying to accomplish this year. Yeah, and with Kobe, it's not just about this year. Like It's about, do we want to pay this dude? So they're obviously having these sorts of conversations now that they're doing the calculus around that. Like They don't have to trade him now if in the event they don't they don't want to pay him. Like he's still got one more year on his rookie deal after this. So it's not like a situation where you have to move him now. But you know, if you don't want to pay him for whatever reason, and that reason may be the fact that you've got Io like outperforming expectations, you've already got Caruso, you've got Lonzo, then moving him now does make sense because you don't want to pay him, but also because of what of what you spoke to, that if you want to go for it now, like get a player in now that can help you for a guy that you're not necessarily going to keep long term anyway. So that logic makes sense to me. I could see Kobe getting moved at the deadline and any and the driver for that being mainly that they don't want to pay him because at the same time that they would have to pay Kobe, they would have to pay Io. And at that point you're already paying like thirty million dollars combined to Caruso and Lonzo. So yeah, Kobe makes the most sense to me in terms of a guy that'll be moved. Um, I, I'm assuming the same for Troy Brown Jr. because he's in the final year of his rookie rookie deal, if I'm not mistaken. He doesn't seem like a guy that's, I don't know, long for Chicago or long for many teams, to be honest with you. Like, he's a fine role player as a 10th, 11th guy. But beyond that, like, who really cares about Troy Brown Jr.? So you can pick up similar players 
pretty easily. So well, I think the appeal with these guys is the youth and upside, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. there are teams that like the Pacers, for example, who made this trade for uh, to basically get off of Karis Levert. They're in a situation where they're trying to accumulate talent. And I think the same is probably true for the Spurs, even though I, they're pretty talented. Um, like DeJounte Murray just named an all-star. Jakob Pertl's been great. Derek White. Uh, they have a ton of like young wings. Devin Vassell. Yeah. Um, Lonnie Walker. Lonnie Walker, our boy Dougie McBuckets. <laughs> um, so they've got talent. But anyway, all of that to say, teams I think would value a guy like Kobe who has shown he can be a big time scorer, even though it's not necessarily consistent or reliable, the potential is there. And for teams that are more in a rebuilding process, I would absolutely love to have a guy like Kobe. So it just depends on, do those teams have something that the bulls would want? And I think there are targets. Um, the Clippers just made a big move for Norman Powell and Robert Covington. Uh, so I, I don't really think they're going to be big sellers at this point, but Nick Batum was a kind of was the kind of guy I would be really interested in, um, and as as a Clippers organization that is kind of going for it, I don't really see Kobe as a fit there. But yeah, I, I think you just have to sort of look around the league and see if you can find a trade partner more based on you know crossing trajectories yeah. and seeing if Kobe is like more valuable to them than he would be to a contending team. Yeah. Certainly agree with that notion, but like it appears the Portland Trailblazers are open for business um, based on the trade that you that you mentioned there. The fact that they gave away Norman Powell and and Robert Covington for, for not a much not not much really like that, that was, was a terrible trade. It really was like they clearly lost that trade. Maybe it was a financially motivated trade or just to set the tank up or whatever it may be. But like that was just a bad return. Um, there's no way around that. So are they open for business? Does that mean they're prepared to sell on Larry Nance? Maybe, but in the in the event that they are, like, would do the Bulls have anything they can offer for Larry Nance? Can they give Derek Jones Jr. and Portland back their their protected pick? Like, maybe that entices them to do so. I, I don't know if that's enough. Maybe another team will come in with a, a much better offer than that. I don't know. Are there any other teams around the NBA that may be prepared to do something similar? I, I don't know what the Wizards are going to do. The Knicks seemingly are always trying to trade for someone to help them out. I'm assuming they're not necessarily going to be sellers at the deadline. So then it, it kind of leaves like in the Eastern Conference teams like the Pacers, the Pistons, and the Magic. And like the Magic don't really have a lot of vets that would be that intriguing. Maybe Terrence Ross uh, in terms of the Pacers, Justin Holiday. Like that's an interesting name maybe as a, as a bench wing. Uh, much to the to the chagrin of uh, C. Red Fred, but like he I was come just going to say, like, <laughs> would, he, would he be able to tolerate that? No, absolutely not. But like that would be amusing in itself. But like um, I would endorse the trade just for that specific reason. But like if you can get maybe like those type of players that you sort of you know can come in and be a bench guy from a team that clearly is going down the down the toilet for this season. Like the Kings are an obvious team, which we've talked about a lot, a lot in terms of you know Harrison Barnes. But who the hell knows what the Kings are going to do? So there's no, there's not a lot of really good options out there. Like in terms of, there are a lot of names out there that I like, but in terms of what the Bulls can actually give up to get those guys, uh, I just don't think there's a lot out there. So I, it kind of feels like they're set up to just shuffle some you know puzzle pieces around with yeah. other teams, but not actually you know have that have the ammunition to go out and get an impact player you know consolidate yeah and really upgrade that sixth six man role or fifth starter whatever it is yeah so 
I I tend to agree that Kobe Kobe and the Blazers pick that you know as you said they they really lost that trade. They're clearly aiming for uh, lottery balls here. So who knows what what that does to the value of the pick? Probably. Um, I think it's protected lottery protected until 2027 or 28, at which point it just disappears. So at this point, you know, if they lose Dame, they trade CJ, like there's a, there's a chance that just never conveys. Mm -hmm. So I would want to get off of it if I were us, but I also, if, you know, I was another team, I'm not sure how much I would value it. So I think they are kind of primed to maybe bring in somebody like Tory Craig would be awesome. I think a really cool option, you've mentioned this a ton, Chumo Kiki, mm-hmm. who doesn't really have a place, I think, with the Magic's future, just given how many awesome big three, four kind of combo guys they have. Obviously, you don't just like sell on young talent for no reason, but I think it'd be really fun to get another young guy with potential back in one of these trades too, because mm-hmm. then you sort of maintain some chips in the yeah. in the treasure trove yeah. and you you know maybe somebody works out maybe they don't but then you still have some assets to flip down the road yeah for sure and like another guy i really love who would, i'd love to have on this team is pj washington but like i mean realistically what are you going to get for pj washington in terms of what the Bulls can offer up probably not a lot and it, the reporting is that if the if the hornets do give up on pj washington then they'd want a big in return and obviously the bigs the, the Bulls don't have any bigs to give up apart from vooch so that doesn't seem like 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 it's something that's likely but I guess another thing that we need to consider with this franchise as well is you know, ownership's willingness to to pay guys. Like they're in a fine cap position at the moment. I'm assuming, and then they can continue to add guys if they wanted to. But it really comes down to the fact that like, what are they prepared to pay for? Like you got Zach Levine's max contract coming up soon. Whether it's a, just a standard max or a super max, time will tell. But what they do at the deadline may be dictated by what ownership is allowing them to do. Like. You can do a lot of fun and creative stuff. Like, for example, like if, if I, I I can make the argument that you know trading Derek Jones's expiring contract for like a Daniel Tice who has, will have three years remaining on his deal beyond this season makes a lot more sense for the Bulls than you know just letting Derek Jones or playing this year out with Derek Jones Jr. letting him go next season and him expiring and being a free agent, which is probably the more realistic case. But if you could organize a trade where you could get you could get Daniel Tice back, you could um or, or you know, maybe you can't necessarily do that from the CBA rules because of uh am I am I forgetting that or no the Bulls didn't waive him so that's fine so you could go after Daniel Tice so like or whatever, whoever the player is like but I guess what I'm I saying think, is like could you I add think he's salary? recently traded so I actually don't think but I could be wrong about that yeah look I could be wrong about it too but I guess the point is like. There's one thing to to go in and propose all these trades, but like, are, are the balls going to acquire dudes that have years left on their contract? Like, that's going to be an interesting test case as well for maybe where ownership is thinking about these things. Like, Tory Craig could slide in very nicely either into the trade player exception that the balls have from the off season, or if you trade him for uh, a Troy Brown Jr. But like, Tro- Troy Brown Jr. is an expiring contract. Daniel, uh, not Daniel Craig, Tory Craig. Let's get James Bond on the roster. <laughs> well, yeah, I won't, I won't give any spoils away from the latest John James Bond, but maybe that's not possible either. But I mean, you could get Tory Craig, and I guess this is my point. But like, if you exchange him for Troy Brown Jr. or that trade a player exception, like those are things that would come off the books next year, and you wouldn't necessarily be paying for those dudes, whereas you would be paying for for a Tory Craig. So are you prepared to add money to the roster beyond this season for guys that have guaranteed deals? Like that's going to be, again, an interesting test case. If they do, then that, that'll be really good to see from ownership, obviously, because 
that 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 gives you the indication that they're prepared to 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 pay some money for the for the team. But I don't know if they just let let things hang by the wayside and you know you just you come back with the same team next season uh, next season more or less. You just get let guys like Derek Jones Jr. expire, you let Troy Brown Jr. expire. You trade Kobe because you don't want to pay him his next deal or whatever it may be and. You know, you just pick up bits and pieces here and then. Like that'll also give us an indication as to what the team or what the ownership is thinking as well. So I, I don't think we can completely forget or just ignore the ownership component of this as much as I'd like that to be the case, and as much as uh, I'd love to have like Steve Ballmer as my owner, where he's in a season where he's pretty much just doesn't have Kawhi or Paul George, he's still making trades that are going to inflate their tax bill like that's just thought that's obviously not the case in chicago so uh you know we'll see what they do at the deadline we wanted to, we want them to add pieces but um if those pieces have long-term deals as well uh, i'm going to be skeptical i guess and we basically have no evidence that there's willingness in the front and yeah, the, yeah exactly. in ownership to to yeah. pay the taxes really what it comes down to yeah but um no i think that's a really good point and i think that probably is more support for trading Kobe if you don't want to resign him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, cash in on that chip while you have him or let him play out on um on the offer sheet next year. Uh I do think that next year as in like over this upcoming free agency, they will be a destination for veteran minimum guys who can be like close to impact players. Paul Millsap comes to mind as somebody who obviously is not happy with the Nets right now. I, I think he's basically just not going to play there until he gets traded or bought out. So somebody like that could be available. Not sure how much he really has left in the tank. But I do think given the way that the Bulls have proved you know, that they're capable of being a very good team, I think they seem like a really fun team to play with. And I think they're going to they're gonna be in the buyout market for the first time in what seems like a really long time. And then also, like I said, in free agency next year, maybe you do make a move for Tory Craig and you, uh, and you put that money on, on the longer term cap sheet, but then you make up for it by getting Thaddeus young to come back as a vet min guy or as a mid-level exception guy or whatever it may be. So, um, maybe that kind of comes out in the wash, but I definitely think it's something to keep an eye on, ahead of the trade deadline, especially with guys like Troy Brown, Derek Jones, and Kobe, especially given their expiring contracts. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. And I, I guess, may I, I want to say this. Are you going to be out, like, if, if they do acquire Dennis Schroeder, are you going to be as annoyed as I am, even if it's just the cost of a Troy Brown Jr. and a second-round pick? Like, that's, in terms of player comparison, in terms of value, like, that's an obvious win from a pure talent perspective. But for me, just as a Dennis Schroeder hater, like, are you going to be as irrationally annoyed about that trade as I am? I was talking about this with Stefan in DMs the other day. And I think people just like hate, like I definitely was in this boat too. I think people kind of hate on him just because it's like hive mind. And I think he kind of sucks in a, a lot of ways. Yeah, I am. Yeah, okay, um, no. <laughs> uh, I think he, he has a lot of problems. He's not a perfect player. No. But I think getting him and bringing him into those Kobe minutes and then flipping Kobe for somebody like Jakob Pertl with that Portland pick. Mm. Now you're talking about, you know, having really good guard depth with Io Caruso and Schroeder and then also bringing in a basically starter caliber mm-hmm. 
backup five. Mm-hmm. I think that evens out the roster a lot more and would be a reason to to bring a shooter. But again, he's a, he's another expiring guy. It seems like a lot of that noise is coming out of Boston, where they just like want to get rid of them, yeah. get, get rid of him for nothing. Talk so tax. who knows if that is real? Yeah, they want to get under the tax. Um, situationally, I think it could make some sense, but just add him to the current roster for Troy Brown. I tend to agree with you that that doesn't really do much for me. Yeah, and I guess that's it's, it's a good point. Like we should, and maybe this is true of Portland as well. Like I'm assuming they're going to be sellers at the deadline, but you know who the hell knows. But like that, I, I'm I said before that their trade that they made with the Clippers is a bad one. But maybe we have to wait and see what they do at the deadline and view this whole thing as a whole. And similarly for the Bulls, like in isolation, maybe a trade for Dennis Schroeder isn't that appealing. But if you get in Schroeder to pl- replace Kobe, who then replaces, and then you move off Kobe, like you said, to, to get a, a backup center, whether that's Pirtle, that would be amazing, or or someone else, then, you know, in that reality, then maybe I don't feel as bad about it, I suppose. But I, I guess if, I would be very underwhelmed if the, uh, the only acquisition of the deadline is Dennis Schroeder. You're adding a point guard who you don't really need a point guard. Um, it's not of my top five things that I, I think this team needs sort of thing. So I don't know. We'll see what happens, I guess. But um, that's yeah. actually a good question that I wanted to ask you. But one more thought before I do yeah, is just that last year during the deadline, obviously the Vucevic thing was in a, I think it was, I mean, they did the, the trade for Tice and to get off of Gafford and that whole bit, but it was really the Vucevic trade that sort of headlined the deadline for the Bulls. Mm-hmm. And I think it was really hard to evaluate that deal without also taking in the context of what happened this past summer during free agency, getting Lamar, getting Lonzo, getting Caruso, right? Mm -hmm. That was more the full picture of AK's vision, in my opinion. So maybe we make some moves at the deadline, something happens, it sounds weird, it feels a little off, and, you know, or, or it makes even more sense because it connects back to the picture that that sort of came into more of a clear picture this past summer. So I think it's it's easy to look, kind of to your point, it's easy to look at individual moves in a vacuum, but there is a, a larger picture at play here. And I think the longer AK is responsible for making these personnel decisions, the more we're going to learn about what, he, what product he wants on the floor. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Interesting couple of days, and and so much of this hinges maybe on what other teams are prepared to do as well. Like I said, it's easy for us to say the Bulls should go out and acquire this player or that player, but like the Brooklyn Nets and, and the uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, like they just may hold up the entire trade deadline because of this Simmons Harden stuff. There's, there's going to be other teams out there as well that are trying to do deals that are beyond the Bulls, sort of thing. So like, will those sorts of things influence how how you know how the deadline sort of unfolds? Similarly, like with like the Suns, we just played the Suns, like. The Suns are in a realistic, a realistic position where they can go out and get someone like a Kenrich Williams, for example. He's a name that you and I have discussed on this podcast, I think, as recently as last week. As a, uh, you know, instead of getting a, a Jeremy Grant or a Harrison Barnes, another, what are some lower level three, four type players that you can sort of get in? Like Kenrich Williams is an example where it would be cool to see him out at the deadline. But if the Suns outbid you for that, then, then what are you doing type thing? Like, there's, there's so much of this is. You know, within the Bulls' control, but then so much of it is, isn't as well. So, like, the whole thing can change pretty quickly. Like, who the hell knows? Like, maybe Bradley Beal is available. And if that happens, then maybe that means some of these Wizards' role guys are available who we're not really considering or whatever the situation may, may be. Like, I guess my point is that so much is in flux. The Bulls have control of some of it. 
a lot of it they don't, but um, we'll, we'll find out in the coming days as to how it all plays out. But um, I'm expecting a low-key deadline. Maybe I'm just trying to undersell. That way, when they over-deliver, I can be over the moon. But um, yeah, maybe that's just me subconsciously doing that. But I don't know. I just kind of feel like not much is going to happen. I feel like by the time people listen to this podcast now, that will have made a huge deal because that's just how it goes. But I think that's kind of what we thought last year too, heading into the deadline. And then obviously the Vooch thing happened. So uh, who knows? Hopefully we'll have some fun news and we can be back later on this week to, to break it all down. But uh, I do think they're in a interesting spot and one that is much different from where I expected to be maybe a month or two ago when things were really clicking. So yeah, it's curious, but um, deadline season is, is part of what makes the NBA so much fun. So I'm very excited to see not only whatever the bulls do, but just other moves that happen around the league and how that could affect the playoff picture and free agency and all that. So um, it'll be fun. And, and we'll be back to chat about it. Any potential moves the Bulls make uh, later on this week. Yeah, for sure. Like when the Bulls trade Zach Levine for Victor Oladipo and a first round pick, we will be back on the podcast to discuss that side. I was wondering trade. whether you're going to try to squeeze that line <laughs> into this episode or not. I was I was not going to do it, but then I was like, that's good. Let's, let's go with it. So I teed, um, I teed you up. <laughs> I found a place to weasel it in. But uh, yeah, to Will's point, should something happen, then we'll be back. Even if nothing happens, then we'll be back to discuss the implications of that as well. Like not only does are the Bulls going to be making moves, but um, if the Nets and Sixers make moves, then that's going to have implications in the Bulls. We talked about the Cavs going after Karis LeVert. Who the hell knows what the Bucks and Heat are going to do? So there's a lot of things that are going to influence the Bulls, even if the Bulls don't make a move. So Will and I will be back later in the week, most likely to, to wrap up the trade deadline. Uh, and to discuss all that. So be on the lookout for all the, the usual spots that you find the podcast. Follow Will and I on Twitter at MK Hoops at One Godleap. Uh, the show is at Bulls HQ Pod, all that sort of stuff. I'm not going to blank on any, about any more plugs because you guys know them all by now, but uh, we appreciate you tuning into this episode of Bulls HQ. Enjoy, enjoy the trade deadline period. It's always a fun period for NBA fans. And, uh, you know, that lead up up until the deadline is going to be super exciting. And uh, we'll see what the, boy, the Bulls do. But uh, until then, this has been Bulls HQ. Speak next time, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.